0: You are listening to the Discovery City Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about us, including our location and service times, please visit us at discoverycitychurch.com. We hope this sermon will encourage and build your faith as you pursue God, community, and influence within your world. Now, the message from our lead pastor, Caleb York. Those people, we're on week three of those People turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 if you got your Bible or device. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to begin next week. We're going to be talking about the most controversial of all, the hypocrite. The hypocrite, so be ready for that. All right, the hypocrite next week, our final week of those people. How do we what do we do with those hypocritical, hypocritical people in our lives? But today. We're talking about the controllers, the manipulators in our lives. I heard this story of a man, he went to heaven and he was outside the gates of heaven. And as he was walking up to the gates, he saw there were two lines. There was a line for males over here and there was a line for females over here. Obviously this story is biblical, right guys? It's made up, all right, don't don't kill me females over here and so he headed over to the male side of the line and he saw there were two doors and one door above it there actually there was two doors one door had a long line of men standing in line ready to enter into heaven and above it was a sign that said all men who were controlled by their wives line up and enter here and so it was a huge long line as far as he could see and then next to it was another line and another door. And there was one man standing in front of that door. And above that door, it said, enter all men who were not controlled by their wives. And so the man walked up to the guy standing by himself in that line. And he said, hey, buddy, what are you doing in this line? And the guy said, hey, listen, leave me alone. My wife told me to stand here. I'm gonna do what she told me to do. Just go bother somebody else. We're not talking about that this morning, all right? Some of you husbands, you're like, all right, we're going to get the notes going this morning. We're not talking about controlling wives. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about manipulative people, people in our lives who want to control us. And if you don't really know what that looks like, I want to give you three biblical examples this morning to start out, three biblical examples. The first story we see is in Genesis. Genesis, we see the story of Jacob and Esau. They're the brothers, the sons of Isaac, two twin brothers. Esau came out first and then Jacob came out right after. So he somehow became the little brother. And the story tells us that Esau is a man's man. He's a daddy's boy. Not only is he a man's man, it says that he's hairy. So obviously it, that's our main example for a man's man. So any, any man's man in here, hairy man in here? Yeah, no, no, okay, I'm by myself. And, all right, so yeah, to, you, to be a man's man, you gotta be hairy. Esau was a man's man. He was hairy, said he was red. He was a hunter. He would go out and he would hunt and he would provide that way. And we see the story tells us in Genesis that one day Esau comes in and he has caught Nothing. He hasn't hunted anything. He, he, he wasn't able to kill anything. He hadn't hunted anything, but he had been out for a long while. And when he, come, he had come back, he was dying of starvation, or at least that's what he thought what was happening. He comes back and he says, I'm dying. And he shows up, and Jacob is there stirring, just happens to be stirring a pot of stew. His sibling, his brother, Now, isn't that always the case when it comes to siblings? They always have what you need at that exact moment. And we see Jacob, his brother, is stirring this pot of stew. And he comes and he says, Jacob, give me a bowl of this stew because I am about to fall over dead. I've caught nothing. I haven't killed anything. I haven't eaten in a long time. I need to eat or I'm going to die. And we see Jacob uses this as a prime opportunity to take something that really doesn't belong to him. He says, all right, I'll give you a bowl of stew, but all you have to do is give me your birthright. Give me your birthright and I'll save your life. His own brother is manipulating him. The birthright was not only just a larger part of the inheritance that they gained from their father, but also it was a blessing that the father would give prior to his death. As well as control and leadership over the entire family, this family, this huge family that gathered underneath the leadership of Isaac would now be passed on to Esau. But through this birthright, we see Esau gives it up to Jacob For a bowl of stew He's manipulated by Jacob We see later on in another book We see the New Testament We see King Herod And John the Baptist We see one day King Herod shows up To see what John the Baptist is doing And John the Baptist Right on the spot calls him out He says King Herod You're doing something wrong You've made a mistake. You have taken your brother's wife and you have made her your wife. That's nasty. That's weird. Don't, that's wrong. Don't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. King Herod didn't like that. His wife Herodias did not like that. And so King Herod, not wanting to kill John because John was seen as a religious leader, a religious person to all the people that he was the ruler of, So he couldn't kill him, but he said, you know what? I'm going to throw him in jail. I'm going to threaten him. I'm going to put him in prison for a while and let him sit on that. And maybe he'll stop talking about me. Maybe he'll stop bringing this up. But Herodias, that wasn't good enough. For his wife, his brother's wife, who is now his wife, that wasn't enough. And we see one night that Herodias' daughter comes into a party that that King Herod is heading up, that that he's putting on, and she does this dance. And King Herod is so proud of his stepdaughter that he says, you know what? Whatever you want, whatever thing that you want, I will give to you because I'm so proud of you. That dance was just amazing. I don't know if it was, I don't know what kind of dance it was, but it just blew his mind. And she said, okay, let me think about this. And she goes back to her mother and Herodias tells her daughter, you know what you want? Tell him you want the head of John the Baptist. You want his head on a platter. That's the gift that you want. Ask for that gift. And so she goes back and she asks for that gift. And even though King Herod doesn't want to kill him, even though he knows this could look badly on him because of John the Baptist's stature, because of, his, because of the way, how, how high of a presence he has with the people, he, he does it anyways. And we see that John the Baptist is killed, he's beheaded. And King Herod's manipulated by his own wife. We see the the most famous story of manipulation of all is the story of Samson and Delilah. Samson and Delilah, Samson was one of the judges of Israel. In fact, his parents made a vow, they made a promise to God. They said, God, we're going to give this child to you, and we're going to promise, and God told them to continue in his upbringing, the Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow consisted of not cutting your hair and not drinking alcohol. If he would follow this, God would bless him with this amazing strength. And so we see as he grows, Samson is extremely strong. We see him fighting an army of Philistines and his weapon is the jawbone of a donkey. And it says in the story that he slays thousands upon thousands of Philistines all by himself in this jawbone. He is strong. God's blessed him because he's kept this Nazarite vow. But we see his main downfall his weakness was always women in his life that was always his weakness and so comes along here comes along delilah and delilah is a philistine woman and he knows this she is from the people that are trying to kill him constantly they're always out to get him the armies of the philistines would come for him and she's a philistine and he knows that but he's still enticed he still follows through with that relationship. But what he doesn't know is that Delilah is out to get him as well. She's out to get him just as well. And so what do we see? If we actually look in Judges, hold that spot in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read there in just a minute. But I want to look at Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. We see Delilah, she starts prying and she asks this question. Where does your strength come from, honey? Tell me. What does it say in verse 15? 16, Judges 16, verse 15 said this. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Or in other words, how can you say that you love me, Samson, if you won't confide in me? Tell me your secrets. I, I just want to know you better. Sound familiar, guys? No. I want to know you better, Samson. Verse 16. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. You know what that means right there? She nagged the snot out of him. She nagged and nagged to the point he thought he was going to die. He's like, I can't take this anymore. You won't stop nagging me. And she's like, does any man under, you know, do we, she's nagging him constantly. Tell me, what's your secret? I want to know you more. Now, no guys, we, we've never been through that before, right? No? Wise guys. Oh, thank the Lord. Brownie points this morning for you guys. We've never been through that. Clearly no man has experienced that before by the reactions of the guys in this audience here. But she manipulates him by nagging him until he feels like he's going to die. And he eventually tells her, well, all you have to do is cut my hair. Cut my hair and my strength. It'll break my vow. My strength will be gone. And she tells her Philistine friends. And they come in and they cut his hair. And that's his downfall right there. He's manipulated. He's controlled by this woman, Delilah. Some of you are here today, and you know someone like that in your life. They can control you. They want to control you. And if they want to manipulate you, if they want to get something out of you, they can. They can do it very simply with their words. They know exactly what to say to you, or they know exactly what not to say to you, to get what they want from you, and they do it every single time. They seem to press your buttons. They know how to get whatever they want. We know people like this. And if you don't yet, if you can't recognize these people in your lives, I want to talk about this this morning. How do we recognize those people? I want to give you a few tools to find out how this works. So the first thing I want you to write in your service guides, go and pull out your service guide, your notes. The first thing I want you to write down this morning is this. The tools of a manipulator. I wanna give you the tools of a manipulator. What do these tools look like? The tools of a manipulator. The first thing I see is this, threats. Threats. A manipulator will always give threats. Sometimes they're direct, other times they're indirect. You know what, if you wanna work here, you'll do that. If you want this, then you'll do that. If you don't do this, I'm going to leave you. If you don't tell me what I want to hear, I'm going to hang up. They threaten people. That's their tool. That's their tool for manipulation. We see this in the older generation. If you don't come and visit me, I'm going to cut you out of the wheel. It's manipulation. One of their tools is they threaten. They threaten, they use threats constantly. This is what controllers do. They love to use threats. Not only does it happen in our relationships out in the world, but guess what? It happens in our marriages sometimes. It happens in our marriages. We see, you know what, If, if you don't give me this, then I won't give you any more of this. Obviously, I'm talking about cookies. But we see that happen in marriages. No only do we see threats, we see guilt. Write that down. Number two, the tools of a manipulator, guilt. If you love me, you'll do exactly what I ask. If you love me, you'll do exactly what I ask. After everything I've done for you, you can't do this one little thing for me. They use guilt. They guilt you into everything that they want you to do. They'll use guilt to get their way. Not only that, oh, even worse. And this one drives me craziest the most. They can use guilt in the form of no words. The silent treatment. You know what? You won't do what I want you to do, and so I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Silent treatment. They use guilt. That's their tool. That's their weapon. That's how they control you. That's how they get their way. They love to guilt people into getting their way. I thought we were close. I thought I I could count on you, but obviously I can't do that. I can't count on you. You're not that person in my life. You know, sadly, this happens with Christians all the time as well. Well, you didn't do this. I, I thought you were a good Christian. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess I'm supposed to be a good Christian, so I better go do this. Yeah, they'll use that. Happens with Christians all the time. We'll use guilt to manipulate and control people. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, how do we break the power of manipulation? Write that down. How do we break the power of manipulation? The first thing I see is this. We need to recognize when someone is trying to control us. How do we break the power of manipulation first thing off? We need to recognize when someone is trying to control you. Some of you are like, well, it's obvious. It's obvious when someone is trying to control me. But you know, what, for many people, it's been a way of life for so long that, you know, it's so easy to just miss it. You don't even realize you're being manipulated. For others that are constantly controlled by others, you think it's normal. It's just a normal normal way of life. Maybe you grew up and your parents did it. They manipulated you to get you to do what they wanted you to do. And maybe they still do that. Your friends do it. They've done it as you've grown up. They've manipulated you. they found ways to control you. And you think, oh, this is how life is. They manipulate, they threaten, and that's how you get what you want, and that's how people get what they want out of me. That's just a part of life. It's not. The important thing first is to recognize someone is trying to manipulate and to control me. And that's where we're going to pick up this story in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we see Jesus realizes Peter, one of his closest followers, is trying to control him. One of his closest people, some would say his best friend, is trying to control him. Look at Matthew chapter 16 verse 21 is where we're going to begin reading this morning. Matthew 16 verse 21 says this, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer Many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. From this point on, right here, Jesus begins to tell his followers, Guys, listen up. I've got to go back to Jerusalem. I've got to go because I came to this earth for a reason, and that's to go and die for the sins of the world. That's why I came, that's why I'm here. But just to give you a heads up, I'll be back, all right? I'm gonna go die, but I'm coming back. I'll be back, don't worry. And notice Peter's response in verse 22. What does he say? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, what are you talking about? He chews him out. You can't say that, Jesus. You can't go around telling people you're gonna die. Do you know what I've been doing, Jesus? I've been out here trying to invite people to our church because I'm telling them that, man, you're the boss. Man, you're the big boss. You're the authority. You're going to be the one that's going to lead the army and take control of everything. That's what I've been telling people. But if you go out there and tell them that you're going to die, it's going to mess up everything. You're going to mess up my plans. I've got all these great plans going into motion right now, and you're going to tell everyone you're going to die. You can't do that. He chews Jesus out. And Peter right here in this situation, in this scenario, this story, he does something that most controllers know. It's easier to control someone when you isolate them. What does he do? He takes Jesus and he takes him to the side because he knew, I think I can control Jesus. I think I can get him to do what I want him to do. You know, right there, that's a common tool of predators. Specifically, sexual predators. They see a group of people, and they look for the weak one. And then they get that person isolated, and they're able to force their will onto that person. It's a common thing with predators. Now, this morning, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about sexual predators. We're actually talking about people that really deeply care and love you. People in your life who actually want the best for you. That's who we're talking about. We're not talking about sexual predators, but it's a common tool that's used by people to get what we want. I'm going to take them to the side. I'm going to isolate them. And that's what Peter does right here. He takes them to the side because it's the only way that he knows to relate to others is to manipulate. That's what he does. This is the case with Peter his whole life. He could get what he wanted. He was a forceful guy. He had a powerful mouth. He could get people to do what he wanted them to do. We see that through several comments that he makes throughout scripture. Right here, he doesn't want to hurt Jesus, but he didn't want Jesus to do what he came to do on this earth. He wanted to stop that. And for Jesus, this was a problem because Jesus had come for so much more. Jesus had come for so much more. I want you to write this down in your notes. Four ways. Four ways you can recognize manipulation in your life. Four ways you can recognize manipulation in your life. Number one, if there's that person that you can't say no to. Everyone else can say no to them, but you can't. You might be the victim of manipulation if that's the case. If you have a relationship like that, you can't say no. Number two, You always feel guilty. You always feel guilty. There are certain people in your life that they always make you feel guilty, like you're not doing enough. This happens in marriage also. Really? You've got to go again? Why can't you just stay here with me? Stay here with me all day. It happens. Now, I want to make something very clear here, because some people will take this and use it as ammunition later on. You should spend a majority of your time with your spouse. You should. But I've seen a lot of relationships where they take it completely overboard. And you can't spend more than one to two hours away from that person without feeling guilty. You're leaving again? You just left, why are you leaving? And the guilt begins to grow. They make you feel guilty. This happens a lot in, when it comes to divorced parents. When it comes to their kids many times, they demand loyalty from their kids. And when they begin to show more loyalty to their ex, they start to put on the guilt. Hey, why are you being so nice to them? Why are you, why are you hanging out with them more? I thought you were on my team. I thought you were on my side of this. And they become a victim of manipulation. You always feel guilty. Third thing I see is this you feel ultimately responsible. You feel ultimately responsible. Someone in your life, everything starts to fall apart and you feel guilty. You feel like it's your fault. You feel like you were responsible. I could have done something. If I had only given them what they wanted, then everything would have been fine. And sometimes they turn the tables on you and they're quick to tell you, if you would have only done this, my life wouldn't be a mess. If you would have just given me what I wanted, they make you feel ultimately responsible. And then number four, you compromise values to please others. If you love me, you'll do this. I always heard this story about my grandfather. He was a Baptist preacher for many years, but before that, he'd gotten saved later on in life. And was becoming faithful in church. And one day, his family, his brother and his family came to visit them. And they were not Christians. They had nothing to do with God. They wanted nothing to do with church, nothing to do with God, nothing to do with anything like that. And so Sunday rolled around. And my grandfather got up and began to get his family ready for church to head out. He wasn't going to make his brother go to church, but his family they were going to go to church. They were going to worship God. And so they began to get ready. And my grandfather's brother said, what are you doing? Oh, we're going to church. I got my family and I took time off from work and came here to visit you and you're going to go run off to church and not spend time with us? What do you think you're doing? I I spent so much gas money. I brought my whole family here and you're not even going to hang out with us. I remember my grandfather, as the story goes, he grabbed the morning newspaper and he handed it to his brother and said, hey, read this. And by the time you're done, I'll be back because <laughs> we're going to church because we serve God. You know what? You might be being manipulated when you compromise your values to please others. Well, if you love me, you'll do this. It's a classic line right there. You lay down your values. You lay down God's values and you begin to adopt the values of somebody else, someone else in your life because we want to compromise. And once you recognize manipulation, it's not enough just to know it. Some of you, maybe you saw yourself in one of these scenarios we talked about. You saw yourself in one of these examples and it's not enough just to know that it's going on in your life. You have to verbalize it to break the power. And that brings me to my second point I want you to write down. Our response should be, this is, not, this is not going to work on me. You can know all you want about it. You can know that you're being manipulated, but if you don't verbalize it, you can't break the power that it has over your life. So many people, they come short and they go, you know, I'm being controlled, but you know what? I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to keep going. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to mess anything up. You're compromising. You have to verbalize it to break the bonds of control. You need to say, you know what? Maybe in the past, this worked. You controlled me. But from now on, no more. This isn't going to happen. It's not going to work on me. Can you say that with me? It's not going to work on me. Say it with me, renouncing loud. It's not going to work on me. We need to verbalize it. If you want to break that chain of power, if you want to break those bonds of manipulation, you have to verbalize it and say, it's not going to work on me because I do what God tells me to do, not you. Peter rebukes Jesus. I want you to do this, Jesus. This is what I think your life should be about. He rebukes him. He chews him out. And I want to look at Jesus' response now. Notice Jesus' response in verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. If someone in your life is forcing you, if someone in your life is manipulating you, what do you say to that person that's controlling you? This is not going to work on me. And then you call them Satan. No, I'm just kidding, don't do that. Don't call them Satan. (laughs) I'm just messing. It's not gonna work on me. You cannot control me. Something common in the church world today is we see a lot of people that come into a church and their main desire, their main objective is to control the church. And I've seen this many, many times. Obviously, we're a church plant. We're brand new. We're new. We don't have a lot of people coming in. It's understandable. But as this church begins to grow, there are gonna be some people that come in through these doors and their main objective is, I want the church to be about this. I want the church to be about that. I want to control this. And we need to be prepared for that. We need to be mindful about these people because they want to control. I've heard story after story after story of a pastor and even church planners that have had people come in and they try to control and they try to manipulate the church. I heard the story the other day of a pastor. He had a small group leader. Had a good-sized small group as well. And he caught word that this small group leader was teaching something that was not biblical. It was not something from God's word. And so the pastor got a hold of him. They had a meeting. He said, listen, I've heard you've been teaching this and it needs to stop. You can't teach that. It's not God's word. It's not right. It needs to stop. And the small group leader responded to the pastor and said, you know what? Not only will I not stop teaching that, but if you don't get on board with this, I'm going to take our small group and we're going to go to another church. He tried to manipulate. He's trying to control the church. We see so many times men in the church who have money. They come into pastors and they say, hey, pastor, I got a real good deal for you. I'll give you more of this if you start this and start this. They use their money to control the church. They use their money to control the vision and the direction of the church. And people try to control the church and they use threats to get what they want. And as a pastor of this church, I've got a high sense of responsibility to protect not only the vision of this church, but the people of this church. Because that's what I'm supposed to do. I must protect it. The Bible says that, guess what, one day I'm going to be judged more strictly because of the way that I protect the vision and the preaching of this church. And I take that extremely seriously. We're going to have people come from other churches, and they're going to come in our doors, and they're going to get excited about what's happening here, and then they're going to start chiming in and guess what they're going to say? You know what? At my old church, this is what we used to do and this is what we should do here. And you know what we're going to say? We're going to say no to a lot of good things. You want to know why? Because we're going to say yes to the best things. We're going to say no to a lot of really good ideas and a lot of good things because we want to say yes to the best things. And because of that, God will allow our church to become more productive because of it because we understand the main thing. We see before Jesus left this earth, he said to preach, he said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's what we are gonna be about this church because we are about salvation first and foremost. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior? I've seen so many churches, as the church begins to grow, what happens is the vision begins to become wider. As this church begins to grow, guess what? We're going to do explosions. We're going to do VBSs. We're going to do all these other things. We're going to have a lot of things going on. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. But you know what? That's not what we're going to be about. That's not going to be the vision of our church. And as people begin to, begin to see, as, as churches begin to grow, as they begin to gain more programs, the vision begins to widen and people get confused about what the vision is really about at the church. We had an event I was at one time as a youth pastor, and it was an awesome event. It was an event for kids. I don't really remember what it was, what event it was, but it was for kids, I know that. And kids were everywhere, man. We had families packing into our gymnasium. It was an awesome event. And I remember hearing someone say these words now, this is what it's all about. And I thought, no, it's not. The church isn't about this event, the church isn't about the Easter explosion. It's not about that. As the church begins to grow, as that vision begins to widen, people are gonna come in the door and they're gonna get confused about what the vision of the church is because the vision becomes so bloated with programs and events. And people begin to go, well, that's what we're about. No, we're about this. No, we're about that. And they get confused. It's my job to protect that and say, you know what? No, the vision will always be laser pointed at Jesus Now I want you to understand this. We're going to do community events. We're going to do kids' events. We're going to do mission programs and stuff like that. But our focus is always going to be laser-driven on Jesus, because that's the main thing. Jesus Christ. That's going to be the main thing for us. We will not become bloated. And have our vision bloated, where we don't even understand what the vision of the church is. First and foremost, we want people to see. We want people to see people. We want to see people come to know Jesus as as their savior. That's what we want to be about. That's number one right there. But we've got to keep that vision laser focused. If we're not careful. We'll become like every other church, bloated with programs. Accomplishing nothing. We don't want that. We don't want to be that way. And guess what? We'll protect it. We'll protect it any way that we can. And that can be difficult when people, when we get a lot of people uh, whose thought process is, well, I want to control this happening here. Well, I want to control that. Our church should be about this. No, we're going to close that and I'm going to protect it because we want to stay laser focused on Jesus. The Bible tells us that if we're faithful with the small things, he'll trust us with more things. And if we're faithful with that vision, if we're faithful with what God has given us right now, today, right where we are sitting and standing, God's gonna bless us with more. He's gonna use us more we've got to stay focused on the vision at hand. We've got to keep laser focused on Jesus because people are going to come in and they're going to try to trick it. They're going to try to change the agenda. They're going to try to make it go some other way. They're going to try to control the church. Maybe you're here today and you're allowing someone to push their will in your life. And you need to write this down. This isn't in our notes. This is extra right here. I want you to write this down. When someone else has control, you are committing the sin of idolatry. When someone else has control over your life, you are committing the sin of idolatry. My kids, early on, we uh, obviously we wrestle. I got four boys. When Jack and Josh were little, I used to wrestle with them all the time. Now They're getting bigger. They hurt me. But uh, when they were really little, I mean, just toddlers, I would wrestle with them. And I had one move. I mean, we would do it all day long. We did it for years. They would run at me, ah! and I would grab their hands and sweep my leg and just lay them flat on the floor. And then I would turn around, here would come Josh, ah! and I would sweep my legs. And that was my one move. I did this one move, and I, we did it for years wrestling, and they loved it. They were like, ah, you knocked me down, daddy. And they just had so much fun. And then one day, we were wrestling, and I went to go do my move with Jack. And his hands were up in the right spot, and I went to go grab him. My leg was ready in place, and all of a sudden, his hand turned into a fist, and he punched me right in the face. And I mean, it, just, it was one of those that just kind of like, ugh. You just like my wife, she was like, Oh my gosh, she's like, What just happened? And I was like, It's time to learn a new move because you just knocked my lights out here. I mean, it was one of those that like makes your eyes water, and I was checking for blood in my gums. I mean, that little boy just made a fist and knocked me out. And I learned it's time to do a new move. It's time to to have a new move because my one move isn't working anymore. They're gonna beat me to death. These little boys. And when it comes to manipulation and control in your life, many of you, you've got one move. They push and you crumble. It's time to learn a new move. It's time to learn a new move. They push, you cave in every time over and over and over again. And nothing is going to change in your life until you learn a new move until you learn to recognize manipulation, and until you're able to verbalize it, this is not going to work on me. It has worked in the past, but from now on, it's done. It's over. It's not going to work on me anymore. And you do that, I promise you this. The sparks are gonna fly. When that person wants to have control, they're used to that control over your life, and you say, no more, it's not going to work anymore. From this day on, it's done. The sparks are going to fly. They're not going to like it. They're going to squeeze even tighter, and they're going to try to manipulate you even more. They're going to throw a fit when you push back, and in that moment, I want you to remember this. We do not live to be controlled by others but we live for the control of God. We don't live for the control of others, to be controlled by others, we live for the control of God. He is the only one that has the right to control us and we are gonna do what God wants. No distractions, no things getting in our way and if you get these points right here, if you've gotten all this so far, to where you're breaking the bonds and control in your life, you're going to have to do number three. And that's redefine the relationship. Redefine the relationship. You might have to redefine the relationship with that person that controls you. You may to redefine it. Man, you're used to the old ways, the push and you crumble, but you need to redefine it. Peter tries to control Jesus and Jesus says get behind me Satan you cannot control me now so many people when they hear that verse right there when they read that they get confused I've heard some people well maybe maybe Peter was possessed by Satan right there in that moment he was possessed and Jesus cast Satan out of Peter no that's not what happened What he's saying right there to Peter is this. Peter, your mindset is not where it should be. You have the same agenda as Satan and the rest of the world. You don't have my agenda in mind. And when he says, get behind me, Satan, he's saying your thinking is similar to that, uh, similar to Satan's way of thinking. Because Satan, guess what? The last thing that he wants is to see me die for the sins of the world. Because I'm the only hope. That's the last thing he wants. And you're sharing the same mindset that he has. You're focused on your agenda. You're focused on the agenda of this world and saving things. We've got to understand when it comes to the control of others, when you give control into that control, you're bowing down to an idol in your life. And Jesus says, You're bowing down to this idol in your life, Peter. Your agenda is not my agenda. Your mindset's not my not mindset. You have the mindset of Satan himself. Because the only person that you're supposed to submit to is to God. You're bowing down to this idol and not bowing down to God's will and His way for our lives. Jesus rebukes him right there. Jesus turns it around on him when Peter is so used to being in control. We see later on in the story, we see Peter denies Jesus three times before Jesus is crucified. And then we see Jesus come back from the dead. And he goes back to Peter and he reinstates the relationship. He redefines the relationship. Go and turn to John, John chapter 15. I'm sorry, John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 15. We're going to read that in just a second. Hold your spot there. I want to give you a little background on this. We see Jesus is crucified. He comes back to life. We see the tomb is empty. Two women had traveled to the tomb that morning, and when they get there, Jesus is gone. The stone is rolled away. And so they run back to the disciples and they tell Peter and John that Jesus is gone. He's, he's risen. He has come back just like he said, the tomb is empty. And we see these two disciples, Peter and John, they run to the tomb and they see for themselves it's empty. And the last time, and this right here is the last time we hear from Peter and tell the verses we're about to read in John chapter 21. Because we see that day Peter leaves the tomb. And then Jesus appears to them and he gives them direction. He says, I want you to meet me in Galilee. Appears to all the disciples, meet me in Galilee. And then right there in front of me, disappears. Man, he does like a sweet, like fading trick. I don't know what it was, but he disappears in a way that only God can. And we see the disciples, they go back to Galilee, just like they're supposed to, ready to meet Jesus. But Peter does something different. To give you some background on Peter, Peter's original job was he was a fisherman and Galilee was his hometown. And so when they go back to Galilee, guess what Peter does? Does he go around waiting for Jesus to meet him? No, he does not. He goes right back into his old ways. He goes back into his old life, back to the things that he was used to, back to the things that he was comfortable doing, back to the things that he was doing before Jesus came along. He goes fishing. And the story tells us that He fishes all night, catches nothing, catches nothing. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, meets him in Galilee, just like he said he was. And he said, guys, why don't you put the nets over on the other side of the boat? Cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Give that a try. And what do they do? They cast the nets and they begin to pull the nets in to see what they caught and they begin to see more fish than they had ever seen in their entire life even to the point the nets the nets were beginning to break and we see right here Jesus does this amazing miracle and afterwards they eat breakfast and they have this conversation and Jesus uses this time to redefine the relationship with Peter so look at that John chapter 21 John chapter 21, verse 15 says this. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now, when I was growing up in church, I always read that verse and I thought, man, that's really weird. Like, it's kind of a jerk move, Jesus. Like, why would you say that in front of your disciples? Like, Simon, do you Simon Peter, do you love me more than these guys? And like, and those guys are like, what? What? What, are you, what are you talking about? I, I thought that was kind of a weird move. But that's really not what he's asking right there. He says, Peter, do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than these, these boats that you have? Do you love me more than all these things that you're so familiar with? Do you love me more than what you knew before me? The life that you had. Are you ready to go back to it, or do you, are you going to follow me? Do you love me more than that? And notice Peter's response. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. In other words, take care of my people. Take care of my people. Feed them. It continues on. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Peter, this is him speaking right here, Lord, you know everything You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What did we see earlier when Jesus was on trial? Peter denies him three times. I don't know the man. I don't know who he is. He even begins to curse, to cover up his speech, to look like someone that wouldn't have been around Jesus. He denies him three times. And what does Jesus do right here? He asks him three times, do you love me? Do you really love me? Jesus wants Peter to make a decision right here. Do you want to go back to your old way of life, or are you going to follow me? Because this is your chance. Make the decision. This is your chance. You want to go back? You go back. I caught you fishing this morning. I caught you going back to your old life already. If that's what you want to do, you go do that. If we drop down to verse 18 says this, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This, he said to show by the kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus said, hey, when you were younger, you did what you wanted to do you went where you wanted to go you did what you wanted to do but guess what if you love me you have to follow me there's no other way it's not the other way around it's not me following you you're gonna follow me Peter if you love me follow me and that means I call the shots that means guess what we're not doing your will you're doing my will follow me. If we look at Galatians chapter 1, this will be our last verse this morning. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't picked up on that yet. You haven't picked up on that. Are you seeking the approval of man or are you seeking the approval of God? When you constantly give into control and the manipulation of someone else in your life, who are you trying to please? When you give into that control, you bow down to them. You're bowing down to them like an idol. You're giving control to the wrong person instead of the only one that should have it. the only one that you should be giving your control to for you in this room this morning if you're here this morning and you're a manipulator i want you to hear this you're not a bad person you're not a bad person it doesn't mean you're some kind of deviant person you're just driven by fear And you're placing your trust in your control. I control things, and that's my faith. I have faith in my own ability. You're driven by fear. Your ability to control the things around you, and that is the worst place to put your faith. It's the worst place to put your trust. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Your faith, if it's in yourself, it's not a true faith. You're not putting your faith in God. It's impossible to please Him. Your faith is in your control. And as a Christian, that can't be where your faith is. It has to be in Christ, it can't be anywhere else. It can't be in your family, it can't be in your things. Can't be in your control. It's in God's control. Maybe you're here and you profess to be a Christian and you say that you trust God with the rest of eternity. But you're not trusting God with your life right now. You may say, Yeah, you know what, I've accepted Christ. I know I'm going to heaven someday, but there does he have your trust now? Do you trust him with today? Do you trust him with tomorrow? Do you truly trust him with your life? How can you trust him with the rest of forever? And what happens after this life if you don't trust him with the small stuff right now? What did we say earlier? Man, if we use what God has given us now, he's gonna bless us with more later. And that means after this life. Do we trust God now? Are we trusting him Or are we taking control? Today's the day. Today's the day that you can break free from these bonds of control. Today's the day day that you can break free from from the bonds of manipulation and this idolatry in your life. To say, I'm not gonna bow down to you. This isn't going to work on me. Today's the day that you lay down your control and do what the Bible says. Humble yourself because God resists the proud. Humble yourself and say, God, I'm going to give you control. I'm giving it to you. Maybe your first step is giving control and asking Him to save you from your sins. And truly humbling yourself. Romans 10:9 says this: if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you taken that first step this morning? Has there been a time where you've given control to him and said, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Where are you putting your trust? Where are you putting your faith? Is it in Jesus? Or is it in control? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we love you. Lord, we thank you for how your word speaks to us. Lord, we all know that every single one of us, we deal with times of control in our life. I know for me and myself, there are times where I lose sight of you and I begin to think that I'm in control, that I'm in the driver's seat and then you come and you remind me, no, you're not. God, in those moments, I thank you for those moments. That you remind me that you are God and I am not. That you're in control of my life and I need to to let go and let you be in control. God, for those that are here this morning and they are under this strain of manipulation. There's someone in their life, and that person loves them. That person wants the best for them. But they still control. And when we give in, we're making them a God in our life. We're making them an idol in front of you. God, I pray this morning that we would take these words and that we would break that bond of manipulation. We would break that bond of control truly put our trust in you. God, we love you. We thank you for how you continue to bless, how you continue to work, how you continue to speak to our hearts, how you continue to work through this church. Lord, we're going to praise you for everything that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Discovery City Church podcast. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to help us continue to help others, you can give online at discoverycitychurch.com slash give.